When The Undertaker first stepped into a WWF ring in 1990, no one could have predicted the legendary status that he would go on to achieve. The Undertaker's character evolved from the mortician to the phenom as he captivated fans with the highs and the lows of the WrestleMania streak and his iconic rivalries and matches with the likes of Kane, Shawn Michaels and Mick Foley. But back in 1990, all of this was yet to unfold. The Undertaker was just another new face, a gimmick that could have easily faded into obscurity like so many others. In this video, we're exploring exactly what made The Undertaker work in those early years, from Mark Calloway's commitment to the gimmick through to a bit of luck and one hell of a push right from the start. Mark Calloway was always a keen sportsman. He excelled at football and earned a basketball scholarship at high school and studied sports management at college. Thanks to his incredible height, he considered playing professional basketball in Europe, but then pro wrestling caught his eye. It was 1986 and the WWF was exploding in popularity. Callaway saw the size of the wrestlers and compared them to himself. He liked the look of the physicality and the showmanship on display too. Callaway dropped out of college and joined Buzz Sawyer's wrestling school. Callaway would later say that Sawyer was lazy and disinterested, and so for most of the time he had to learn on the job. But despite the lack of decent training, Callaway quickly caught the attention of Fritz von Erich, the owner of World Class Championship Wrestling, and he made his in-ring debut under a mask as Texas Red in June 1987. This was where he first used the rope walk, a move that he copied from Don Jardine, and a move that he would use throughout his entire career. In 1988, Callaway moved to the Continental Wrestling Association, where he debuted as the Master of Pain. It was here where he won his first major title, where he beat Jerry Lawler for the USWA World Heavyweight Championship. WCW was on a major recruitment drive in 1989. In their ongoing attempt to emulate the WWF, they wanted big men, preferably with some wrestling experience already, but who were basically unknown. Jim Ross was already a fan of Callaway's work from his early days in Texas, and he knew just how talented he really was. He signed Callaway up to a contract on the spot. Terry Funk helped Callaway create his new persona for WCW, and so he became known as Mean Mark Callis. On commentary, Jim Ross confirmed just how mean Mean Mark was, talking about his keen interest in snakes and how he enjoyed the music of Black Sabbath. It wasn't much of a gimmick, but it was something to get started with. Sid Vicious suffered a punctured lung which put him immediately out of action, but Mean Mark was on hand to replace him in the Skyscrapers tag team. After that tag team disbanded, Mean Mark went on to some single success where he beat the likes of Johnny Ace and Brian Pillman and he even went over to Japan for a tour where he wrestled under the name of Punisher Dice Morgan. When Callaway's WCW contract came up for renewal, he was hoping for a longer contract with more money. He felt that he was really proving himself as an asset to the company. 
The only problem was, notorious bastard Ole Anderson was running WCW in 1990. A lot of people at the time hated Anderson's guts, and for good reason. They saw him as being old-fashioned and stubborn, and out of touch with the wrestling business in the 1990s. As Anderson sat down with Callaway to renegotiate his contract, he uttered, Nobody will ever pay money to see you wrestle. Callaway's confidence was knocked badly from that comment, knowing that his career wasn't going anywhere as long as Anderson was running WCW, he set his sights on a job with the WWF. He wanted to meet Vince McMahon in person, but that proved to be almost impossible. So instead, he got in touch with McMahon's right-hand man, Bruce Pritchard, who immediately saw the huge potential in Mark Calloway. At the Great American Bash 1990, Calloway had had a match with Lex Luger. Pritchard showed McMahon that match to try and convince him to bring Calloway into the WWF, but McMahon wasn't immediately convinced. But Pritchard was like a dog with a bone, and eventually McMahon backed down and agreed to meet with Mark Calloway. And luckily the men ended up getting along pretty damn well on a personal level. McMahon pitched the idea of an Old West Undertaker character. As far as Callaway was concerned, one way or the other, it was a damn sight better than what he had in WCW. And so, Callaway handed in his notice and he never looked back. Bruce Pritchard was assigned the role of bringing this new character to life. At the time, Pritchard himself was portraying the gimmick of Brother Love, a smarmy, screeching, televangelist preacher who hosted the Brother Love show. On TV, Brother Love would become The Undertaker's manager. Pritchard wanted the character to be the total opposite to Brother Love. This new creation had to be dark and ominous. The WWF's creative services department designed the mortician's outfit that would become iconic. Before his TV debut at the Survivor Series, Callaway had been given just two chances to rehearse. They recorded two squash matches for episodes of Superstars and Wrestling Challenge that were due to air after the Survivor Series. On these shows, he was introduced as Kane the Undertaker, but the first name was quickly dropped when he made his TV debut at the pay-per-view. It was an elimination tag team match that pitted the Dream Team against the Million Dollar Team. On the Million Dollar Team, The Undertaker was joined by Ted DiBiase, The Honky Tonk Man and Greg Valentine. Their opponents were Dusty Rhodes, Coco Beware, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. During the match, Taker quickly eliminated Coco in less than two minutes with his Tombstone pile driver. Then he eliminated Dusty Rhodes after a double axe handle off the top rope. It was an incredibly strong start for this mysterious new character and he wasn't even eliminated from the match. He ended up getting counted out after giving chase to Dusty Rhodes. McMahon made a conscious decision not to introduce The Undertaker with traditional vignettes or interviews. Instead, he debuted him directly on pay-per-view and he let the character speak for itself. He instructed Callaway to lumber around the ring and to not sell too much during his matches. He wanted him to leave his feet 
as little as possible. The character was intended to be more like Frankenstein rather than a dead man, so to speak. He was supposed to be a big, silent, lumbering monster. For his part, Calloway took to the role like a duck to water. It was like he was born to portray the gimmick. The Undertaker continued to dominate for the rest of the year and into 1991. He was winning squash matches every week and he entered the Royal Rumble in January. He entered the Rumble at number 12 and ended up eliminating Butch, the Texas Tornado and Bret Hart. It was a solid showing for The Undertaker's first ever Royal Rumble match. For Bruce Pritchard, he was at a crossroads. While he enjoyed being an on-screen character as Brother Love, he much preferred being a producer. And Vince McMahon wouldn't allow him to fill both roles. He had to make a choice between being a producer and being an on-air character. And in the end, he took the behind-the-scenes job. And so as the role of Brother Love was taken off TV, they had to find The Undertaker, a brand new manager. It was a wonderful coincidence that William Moody had been in touch looking for a job with the WWF. Moody already had lots of experience in the wrestling business. Since the late 70s, he'd worked as a manager on the independent scene as Percy Pringle. And since the mid-80s, he'd worked for world-class championship wrestling in Texas. He'd managed the likes of Rick Rude, Lex Luger, Steve Austin, The Ultimate Warrior and even... Mark Calloway himself. But Moody would be a natural fit as manager of The Undertaker for another reason. He was a genuine, licensed funeral director. 1991 saw the debut of Paul Bearer. The funeral parlour became a regular segment on WWF TV. All of the pieces were in place. In just a few short months, the WWF had created a monster heel. And unlike some of the other outlandish gimmicks of the time, the fans accepted him as such. Secretly, Mark Calloway breathed a sigh of relief. He got a good gimmick. He could so easily have been cast as the gobbledygooker, for example. It was now time for The Undertaker's big push. The push that will be the foundation for his entire career in the Federation and would keep him in the main event for the next two and a half decades. At WrestleMania 7, he defeated Jimmy Snooker in just 4 minutes and 20 seconds. Unknown to anyone at the time, this was the start of the greatest winning streak in wrestling history. A feud with the Ultimate Warrior came next. The beginning of the feud was marked by an incident in the funeral parlour where shockingly, The Undertaker attacked the Ultimate Warrior and locked him in an airtight casket. Later, The Ultimate Warrior got help from Jake Roberts, who was famous for his use of psychological warfare. He put the Warrior through a series of extreme trials, including being locked in caskets and surrounded by snakes, in order to test him both mentally and physically. But in a surprise twist... Roberts betrayed the warrior and it was revealed that Roberts had been working with The Undertaker all along. Sadly, the feud ended prematurely. The Ultimate Warrior's suspension and his issues with Vince McMahon led to an early conclusion for the storyline. Taker was now considered 
to be a big enough threat to be pitted against Hulk Hogan. Hogan was the WWF champion at the time and he was beginning to feel like his tenure as lead babyface was running out of steam. In 1991, he'd had a poor rivalry with Earthquake, and his WrestleMania feud with Sergeant Slaughter had also been poorly received. After so many years, Hogan's feuds had become totally predictable and one-sided. He needed a fresh challenge, somebody who was a credible threat, and so in stepped The Undertaker. Despite his feud with The Warrior, Taker still hadn't been pinned on TV. The Undertaker attacked Hogan with his urn, setting up a title match for the Survivor Series. In the end, the match would be controversial both on TV and in reality. Towards the end of the match, Ric Flair interfered, sliding a chair into the ring. Undertaker gave Hogan the tombstone pile driver on top of the chair, allowing him to pick up the victory and to become WWF champion. But as the crowd looked on in disbelief, Hogan cried foul backstage. Hogan alleged that the Undertaker's execution of the pile driver had been botched, resulting in a neck injury. Hogan was suggesting that the young Mark Calloway was incompetent in the ring. A claim like that from somebody as powerful as Hulk Hogan could easily have ruined Calloway's career at this point. Initially, Calloway was extremely concerned that he'd injured Hogan, and it really weighed heavy on him for a few weeks. However, he needn't have worried. Shane McMahon showed him a replay of the pile driver backstage, and the footage clearly showed that Hogan's head was nowhere near the mat during the pile driver. Calmly, Calloway approached Hogan to discuss the matter further. When Calloway explained that he'd seen the replay of the pile driver, Hogan's response was to go back on his original claim. He modified the story, suggesting that the injury was not due to his head hitting the mat, but rather because the Undertaker had supposedly held him too tightly, causing a neck strain. From that moment onwards, Calloway lost all trust with Hulk Hogan, and he realised that for the rest of his career, he was going to have to treat him with extreme caution. The Undertaker lost the title back to Hogan just a few days later. The Undertaker's first babyface turn came in February 1992, when he stopped Jake Roberts from attacking Miss Elizabeth. He went on to feud with Kamala throughout 1992, leading to the first ever casket match on WWF TV at the 1992 Survivor Series. By 1993, the company was on a downward trend as the infamous steroid trial had dragged the company through the mud and many of the muscle-bound superstars of the 1980s left the company. And so, Vince McMahon changed gear in how he promoted wrestling and he ushered in the era of the new generation. In this new era, The Undertaker would become the company's most valuable player.